Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. How important the change. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com changing of mindset was to, to get to, to where I am then I think most people aren't really patient with themselves they, they kind of look at these scenarios and they're not patient they're not really seeing what they're learning they're not seeing the plan and everything normally is going according to plan but most people change the plan because they think it's not going well you know what I mean when it's like sometimes everything is working out exactly how it's supposed to but then you fuck it up yeah, right. it's like you know who said this I think Will Smith said it. it's like Everything's messed up, you know what I mean? There's a huge carnage, and then you kick yourself in the balls. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. This conversation is a good one. It left me feeling inspired. I was joined by Josh Wilson, the founder of the award-winning production company, Wilson Worldwide Productions. Josh is a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur. That's uh, actually how we met. I'll get onto that shortly. Josh's production company has made programs that have aired in over 150 countries worldwide, including the format Mission Mudder. Wilson Worldwide have satellite offices in Toronto, Canada and Shanghai. What's amazing about all this is that Josh didn't even come from a TV production company background. He's a former journalist who then pivoted and set up his own production company. And we talk more about that shortly. Perfect. Hi, this is Steve Whiteley, comedian, actor, filmmaker and writer, all-round ADHD creative. And welcome to my new podcast, Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. very interesting story how Josh and I met and I don't think we actually covered it on the podcast perhaps because we've had a good laugh about it in the past but I will tell you a friend of mine AJ King who will be coming on this podcast soon no doubt AJ is um he's a DJ and radio presenter on Kiss FM Kiss 100 FM AJ invited me as a guest to the Forbes 30 under 30 European celebration drinks do so it's when the Forbes 30 under 30 list is announced and all the individuals that have been listed under their various industries on the list come together for a right knees up. It's a celebration, a networking event. And uh, as I said, AJ invited me. So I went there and we arranged to meet about 8 p.m. or something. And I walked into this 
Bar and Soho on my jacks, looking for AJ, couldn't find him, so he was giving out glasses of champagne, had a couple of glasses of champagne, I don't drink much, went straight to my head, and I got chatting with someone, and he uh, was obviously on this list, he did something higher with technology, I don't know exactly what he did, he was uh, Swedish, and we got chatting, and he said to me, so um, what do you do, what are you listed for? And there was a moment and I could have been like any normal human being said, I am actually, I'm not on the Forbes 30 under 30. I'm just here as a guest. But no, the, the combination of the champagne and my wild imagination led me to um, going down an entirely different route, which ultimately put me in quite the hole. And I turned around to him and said, uh, well, actually, we uh, we do uh, manufacturing. I, I don't even know what I said, but I started telling him that we were on the Forbes 30 under 30 list and I ran ran some big company and then uh, that was that and it was quite yeah it was a good conversation I was quite convincing I have to say and then I had another conversation some German dude who had his own trading company or something along those lines and again it came up in conversation so so you're on the list as well and by this point I was all in I was like yep 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 I'm on the list it's fantastic isn't it it's fantastic to be here yeah congratulations yeah congratulations to you too and so on and so on and so on and about 20 minutes later I met this guy Josh Wilson and we got chatting and he's a cool dude he was the first one actually that I talked with because it was this European convention he was the first one I talked with who was actually from the UK from from London as well and he ran a TV production company and I was like, oh, this is getting a little bit close to home now. Because the other ones, you know, I was never going to see them again. And I thought <laughs> I could get away with this for evening. This is a lot of fun. And uh, we were chatting and I was like, you know, what? I'm obviously I'm, I'm going to have to, uh, if he asked me, I'm just going to say, no, I'm not on this list. As we were chatting, by this point, I was in balls deep and I can't remember exactly how the conversation went, but... I said that, uh, yeah, I run a comedy production company, which is true. I do run uh, Off Key World, a comedy content company. And I said that, uh, yeah, I've been nominated for that. And then just as we were having that conversation, somebody else came over who I knew. He's like, Steve. I was like, hey, Jamie. He goes, you're on the Forbes 30 under 30. Obviously, he'd seen the list and <laughs> I wasn't on there. And I was like, what? He said, you're on the Forbes 30 under 30. He said, Oh, uh, oh, who's that over there? I tried to move the conversation away, but the damage had been done. But I don't think Josh had picked up on this. Anyway, Josh and I ended up, and AJ, by this point I'd, I'd found AJ, and uh, the three of us, we'd had a few drinks together, and we basically chatted for most of the evening, and uh, we got on really well. And at the end of the evening, yes, I was about to leave, Josh turned around very earnestly, and he put his hands on my shoulders. Josh said, I just want to say congratulations, man. It's an incredible achievement to be on the Forbes 30 and the 30 list. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, congratulations to you two, mate. And that was it. And then I left. And then I woke up the next morning with a... <laughs> I woke up the next morning with quite the hangover and also this terrible feeling of, oh my God, what have I done? And we'd swap numbers and I immediately texted him that morning saying, hey, Josh, great to meet you. Congratulations on being the Forbes 30 under 30. Just to let you know, I'm not on the list. I don't know quite why I said I was. That's what happens when you put a comedian in a room full of... Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneurs and free champagne and all credit to him he replied straight away just ha 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 that's amazing and then that was that and we've stayed we stayed friends since then we stayed in contact and we've we've met up a few times so that's the story behind how Josh and I know each other and ever since my first encounter with him I've been impressed by his as I said earlier his positivity he's someone who feels very sure of himself he knows how to make things happen just to let you know, 
I think like the first five or six minutes or so of this conversation, I had recorded it via my internal microphone. So so that's why it sounds a little bit weird, but bear with. And then I slowly but surely recognize the mistake I've made and switch it back to the faithful Blue Yeti mic. And then things start to calm down a bit. So over to Josh Wilson. on your one meal a day are we live sorry are we live we may or may not be (laughs) my mad steve uh we're doing i mean this is a test you know we're sort of like casually going into it you know what i um well i haven't done it today for example normally i do and it gives me this sense of it makes my mind really sharp like i've noticed that like i've become much sharper is then you feel more focused throughout the day yeah, I, I, yeah. If, if I just drink water and I don't consume large calories or I don't consume stuff that's really hard to digest, I find it really easy to focus yeah. and, and to stay focused throughout the day. I find if I start to eat carbs especially, so like loads of bread, I'm just, I just start to really dip. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And I'll dip for like an hour, hour and a half. It's like, Did you have to go through that pain barrier like where you know, it took your body a while to get oh, used to where you were just angry for days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I used to... Back in the day, I hold on, one of my colleagues might remember this. I, we, I used to eat at like 11.30, religiously, every day. Had to be 11.30. I just got super hungry. And then I, I would go to the market and they had this beautiful Senegalese store. Oh, it's just delicious. And they just do this, this chili sauce. It's just fantastic. And I normally do that. And I used to do it like every day. But I used to get these, these large portions I just used to be knackered. Exhausted. Like, yeah. just, uh, granted, it used to help me work out in the evening. I found that when I do have intermittent fasting days, I find it really hard to work out in the evening. Oh, really? Because once I get home, okay. like, I just want to kind of go to the sauna and relax. Right. So I did find it hurt my work. I said, I find when I have something very small for lunch, it helps me. If I have something small like a sandwich or, I don't know, some berry crunch from Starbucks or something, something like just that's small... I find working out in the evenings much, much easier. Great. I have a bit of I have a bit more energy that's digested by then. Yeah. And I did my metabolism's quite fast, I digest quite quickly. But uh, if I don't then it's it's a bit of a nightmare. It's not fun. You seem like you've got fairly decent muscle mass. Did you find yeah. that once you stopped? I agree. When you went on intermittent fasting, did you lose muscle? Or you just because you just yeah. bro, you're stacked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. You're completely correct. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no. You know what I. Well, I do, but I mean, I can still do little things. It's, it's, I'm very lucky in the sense that I've been working out pretty much in, in different sports generally, not just going to gym, but I've been working out pretty much my entire life. So when I do do something small, like I'll do like 50 push-ups, and immediately it'll be, in, it'll be a difference. Like, physically you can yeah you can literally notice yeah. it you can see like my chest is more pumped yeah because you've got that muscle chest. memory right? exactly yeah. so I if, if, if I just spend like a week you know eating well eating low calorie meals a lot of protein no carbohydrates and just working out every day running you'll notice that it's supreme difference and yeah. I'll lose like 4 or 5 kilograms Easily, right? Uh, and so I, I can change it really, really quickly in that regard. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like it, I do. It does affect me from a small perspective, like because I, I feel like I don't have the energy to work out. But then simultaneously, it's very easy for me to just put in a small workout and do some. So it's as if I can push myself to go, then I can I can get something done. But if not, then it's 
it's, it's, it's a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe. <laughs> I uh, talk of catastrophes. I started doing the intermittent fasting, and then I thought I'd double up with the going vegan thing. Yeah, because you got really fit. Everyone, I this. well, I, well, fit slash gaunt. Like people yeah, saying, yeah, 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 "You've yeah. lost a lot of what? Is everything okay?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh, saw you when I said that, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I'm like, "Yeah, what? I'm trying to save the planet, bro." <laughs> but now I've had to stop the intermittent fasting because, yeah. like, the two, the combination of two is not working for me. Yeah, it's just too much. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out what the best thing to do is because even the vegan thing, you're like, you're losing out a lot in that diet, you know, especially like B12 or whatever. So I'm how, trying to figure it out. How did you find it? Uh, I felt well, how very... How finding it? Well, I had a, I had a slip up. In it, <laughs> in it. I had a slip up, a cow walked past me. <laughs> it looked delicious. I do, right? <laughs> uh, one life, YOLO. Um, <laughs> no, I, when I was in it, up to, from January to end of February, right. I was like hardcore on it. And then I went to LA for a couple of weeks and I slipped up a bit purely because I was on the go all the time and I just didn't want to worry about so much. Right. I didn't have, I ate maybe like meat once or something like that. But now I'm trying to figure, I want to go back to it because while I was on it, I felt very clean. I felt very light. Yeah, I really like that feeling as well. Yeah, it's, it's nice, probably similar it? to when you're doing the intermittent fasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got to try, I want to try and figure out how, but I think you've got to really study the nutritional side of things to work out what you're missing in your diet by yeah. not eating, you know, fish and meat. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, well, I find when I do eat a lot of a plant-based diet, and especially when I don't eat late, if I eat earlier and lighter, it's a game changer. It's just huge, and I just drink yeah. a bunch of water in the evening. It just feels so light. And if, if I feel light in the evening, by the time I wake up in the morning, I feel super light. Okay, here we go. So I'm just picking that up. I had the uh, mic input of the laptop uh, <laughs> recording that, and now we've got the Blue Yeti. Blue Yeti. So I'm, I'm still a novice in terms of podcasting. I'm yeah, learning no. as I go along. Mate, it's an honour for me to be here. It's I'm a huge fan. Uh, thank you for, um, for having me, man. Of course. So, okay, so we're talking about diets and you're doing intermittent fasting. I'm yeah. trying the vegan thing and how intermittent fasting affects whether you exercise or not. Is exercise a major part of your everyday life like yeah. are you one of these people like me personally if I don't exercise for one day I feel off yeah there's a few things I need in my life and exercise is one of them yeah I, I really need to do something so at the end of each day I need to feel like the, the day after is going to be fresh you know what I mean like I have, when I wake up I have to feel like it's a fresh day so there's either one of three things have to happen otherwise it's really fucking bad for me and, I, and I've, I've followed this religiously pretty much for, for years now probably since like 2016 or something so I either have to go to a sauna or just go somewhere hot Okay. somewhere hot my body can be under under some heat pressure right that really really helps you do that every day a, a, a one of these things I have to do one okay. of these three things or two hopefully Okay. all three is a dangerous thing but sometimes it happens so I have to go to a sauna or a steam room or a warm jacuzzi or something right so I, and most gyms most gyms now have a sauna at least or something along those lines and you can go to and you know it's pretty cheap and or I go to the gym right and I, I get a good workout and whatever that is and I sweat I, I, that, that obviously helps as well but if I go to the gym 95% of the time I'm also going to the sauna as well which is, is the perfect combination for me that or I have to drink 
Like I have to do some element, some social thing in order to unwind my brain. As in drink alcohol? Correct, yes. Right. Sorry. So I, I have to do one of those things. Okay. You know what I mean? Alcohol is probably the thing I do least frequently because just for, for obvious reasons. If I do, I don't do it in, in abundance. But I find I have to do one of those three things and I just have to unwind my brain because my, my brain works so consistently in the day, you know what I mean, to try and figure stuff out and get stuff done and answer emails and figure out deals and figure out this and figure out that, that I need to do something in order to take my mind to a different place completely mm-hmm. after that's done. I found what had used to happen before is that I'd go and then I'd go home and then I'd eat and I'd wake up the same next day, and I'd felt I'd feel like it was almost the same day. Right. It was just a continuation the day before, okay, and I found it, which is I was just, it's just you slowly go crazy. It's like you just do the same thing, but you're not really adapting, and then you obviously have the odd drink. And I think that's why some people end up living for the weekend, for living for that thing of a Friday night when they can have some drinks and unwind. Right now, for me, every day, every evening is like a weekend. As soon as I get to the evening, it's like I get to unwind. Then the next morning, I feel like I'm back again. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I think that that really helps me. It really helps me stay in some level of focus. Yeah. So I would say that. I okay. would say that. Okay, so going back to what you're saying about during your day, you're juggling all these different things. Mm. You know, you're, the, you're an MD of a TV and film production company. You've Thank got, you, Steve. Yes. You are, yeah. Uh, <laughs> obviously, all of that will be covered in the, uh, in the introduction. The, yes, sir. The, I mean, the episode, this interview is only 10 minutes. The introduction's an hour. Uh, <laughs> um, important. Yeah, important to the intro. Got to sell those How do you work during the day? Do you... Do, I imagine you don't in terms of like just literally hop from one thing to another. Are you someone that's very structured? Do you have, uh, do you schedule your day and do you have like certain days for doing certain things or does it, comp- are you freestyle? Yeah, I, I pretty much freestyle the entire time. Do you? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it really depends. Like my, my job is technically to close deals. Like my job is to close okay. and to figure out the ways around things. Right. You know what I mean? Has that always to, been to your job? Solve. Or has that become your job? I'd say that's essential. I have to fill the holes. If there are holes that, that need filling, <laughs> not a euphemism, <laughs> if, there are, if there are things that need to get done that, that aren't being done up to, up to a level or the things that, that only specifically I could do, like the commercial deal, for example... Not many people in our, in our company have the background and the knowledge to be able to pull off complex commercial deals in order to make things to work for broadcasters or funders or, or media agencies or whatever it is, uh, or have the contacts to do those things. And that's probably the most important thing in the media sense, is actually having the money to make the thing. Generally, you can make something good. You know what I mean? We generally pull the same resources from the same, you know, same talent manager websites, etc., as it pertains to production stuff. But actually doing the commercial deal is huge sometimes come up with the idea like I had to come up with the idea for Miss Your Mother for example like, and that was your breakaway hit exactly yeah. right and, and if, if, if I had not come up with the idea we wouldn't be you know where we are today and off the back of that one of our, our development team back then she then came up with, uh, with Chasing the Dream and then obviously I did the commercial deal for both those deals so everyone here has everyone in the company has specific elements that they are good at and I basically support them or vice versa, they support me in making sure that we can all work together towards the same goal, which is essentially taking something from concept or idea or taking something that someone else has brought in, making a good commercial deal around that, 
getting it funded and getting it broadcast and exploiting it in as many territories as possible. And there's so many different avenues that can come off of that IP, as you know, and off of that content. That's what I constantly look to do is, is find a way around things. So do you I guess think that's how it's changed. You came from quite an unorthodox background in terms of you were a journalist and then you went into TV. Do you think having that sort of, uh, I guess, uh, diverse background has stood you in good stead as opposed to someone that sort of started off at the bottom and went down the traditional route going from runner to production, yeah. you know, assistant, et cetera, et cetera, and rising through the ranks before setting up your production company? Yeah, I think the, the main thing is, is the mindset that I came with. I think a lot of people consider it that I'm at, like, the pinnacle, you know what I mean? And, and for me, it was just a, a concept of learning, of just learning to be able to, to understand, learning to do the right thing as it pertains to to production and, and the different elements of television. Uh, and I think people put, you know, exec- the concept of an executive producer, the concept of, of the principle of a company at such a high level, they feel that they can't do it. If you, if you, it's very rare sometimes you ask someone, oh, what do you want to be in TV? I want to be an executive producer. It's, just, it's highly unlikely that someone's going to say that. Generally, someone said, I want to be a producer or a production manager or I want to be, you know, there's so many different things, cinematography, whatever it is. Mm. And they'll name it as something like at the top of that field. But normally on the creative end, or they'll say a production manager. They'll very rarely say that they want to be an exec or, or do something on the side. Because I guess it's something almost that happens naturally as, as your career kind of progresses. Obviously, it's different if you run a company because you're kind of automatically an executive producer. Um, and I guess that's how it's kind of filtered in for me. You kind of just take that steps. But you're right. It, it's, it's very, very interesting, the fact that I, coming from a background of journalism, that's what people used to do and one of a commissioner told me about this and he said you know a lot of people used to come from a background of journalism because it helps idea creation because essentially all we are is visual journalists right so we come up with an idea and then we see how that's going to look on the screen right so we work together to see how that's tangibly going to look and most people nowadays obviously come from a background of being program makers at a major broadcast, normally the BBC, and then they leave and they're like, wait a minute, this is fucking, this is my language, this is really easy. Can I swear? You can swear. Yeah. <laughs> We're not on the what, BBC. What a beautiful podcast. Um, but, you know, that's generally the background that people come from. They'll come through the BBC, they'll realise that this is not as hard as everyone makes out even though it, it really is because most people get eaten alive because they don't have, they're just not getting enough of product in, they're not getting enough commissions. And then they realise that they can do it. As a journalist, obviously, that's a very different route. I had a, a better understanding of the business element of it from, from sales and marketing, etc. And the, my sales and marketing background really helped me as it pertains to understanding the commercial accessibility of brands okay. uh, and of agencies and media deals and finding different ways to fund shows rather than just a broadcast giving me a ton of cash because I knew that was going to be unlikely unless we had a product that was so unique that a broadcaster desperately wanted it or access that was so unique that, and that's so hard to come by yeah. like we're much better at it now because we're much more seasoned in terms of getting this great access and a broadcaster has to work for you because you're the one with the flipping access. But to ask a broadcaster to just pay for a, ra- a random idea, like, oh, we've got the script, we've got this, 
it's like you know you know I'd rather work with Carnival on the next Downton Abbey and give all our money to them mm. you know what I mean and it's and, and you have to you have to be humble enough to understand that and then once you do you can make deals in coordination with how a broadcaster thinks and how an investor would think so I mean you sound to me I mean you are just sort of like you're just like a natural born entrepreneur had you had you had any experience I'm just trying to be like you Steve I'm just trying to be like you we're going around in circles I'm just trying to be cool we're mirroring each other Um, (laughs) so had you done anything like that before? Had you had you had any experience setting up your business? Because going back to the marketing and selling, what, mm. were, what were you marketing and what were you selling? Yeah, so basically, I was in direct sales essentially. Okay. So we, I, I was on a commission only direct sales, direct sales vibe, and I started off in London. And we used to basically. You must have. You must have. <laughs> Personality <laughs> like that. You. Well, I, I, it's funny. I used to be so. I used to be much. Well, I don't really like the term introverted, but I used to be much more insular with my mother. I wasn't very but in terms I, of your personality yeah within the work environment or just as a whole yeah it was much more humble much more you know I was raised by you're quite still a, humble you're still yeah, humble yeah, yeah yeah true I mean I was raised by quite a strong woman yeah. she was quite you know rambunctious and it was like you know I wasn't that type of character and it, it came out more and more yeah. as I was involved in sales and marketing because I used to talk to so many people so that's so it was work working in that sort of environment that helped promote that side absolutely of you. Okay. and then when you think about business right you think about what business is it's something that you enjoy and obviously you're, you're running a business all business owners get paid on commission right mm-hmm. that's True. literally how I started in my career okay. I, I always the two things I really liked in life the, the three things I wanted to be up to now was a taxi driver when I was in primary school because I thought it'd be so cool to drive around and talk to people all day. That's when I was growing up in Eastbourne. Then I wanted to be a journalist when I was in secondary school and college, which is kind of, you know, what what I do now, you know, with obviously the visual element and the written element prior. And uh, obviously, you know, now a a TV producer and, you know, an executive producer. Was that always on the horizon? You knew you wanted to be a TV producer? No. That that just came about? No, it came about as a result... (laughs) Uh, it came. I, I actually, when I was in Toronto, when I when I left sales and marketing, I actually wanted to to act. So I wanted to be a performer, and the the whole point in Boston Worldwide when I incorporated when I came back to London from Toronto was for me to have a vehicle in order to executive produce the content that I was in to give a better avenue of me getting to contact because I always remembered Idris Elba's story that he, he never really got to a decent spot in his own words until he was like 42, 43 years old and I was like I don't want to wait for another 20 years yeah. like I, mean, I haven't even been alive for, for you know that long so I don't want to wait for, for that and so I was trying to think of ways around it and so, and so Wilson, sounds like a very similar story. Yeah, and so with Wilson Worldwide, I was just like, you know, okay, let, let's figure out a way to do some commercials and corporates and stuff like that. Then maybe you can cast yourself in some of this stuff. So I just wanted to take control more of the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And the more of the pipeline I controlled, the more I could be like, oh, I cast myself in this, I do this, I do this. And that made much more sense to me, juxtaposed to waiting for a handout from someone else. And then as the time went on, and obviously, you know, I became a journalist, and I was like, wow, what an interesting industry. I just fell more and more in love with the the element of being a producer and of of making shows and and making them work. I love storytelling. Ultimately, I love the fact we get to tell 
such a diverse range of stories now. I find that to be so, so interesting. That was that the kind of path, if you actually look at it, every single thing I've done led to what I do now. Yeah. From a sales and marketing perspective, it's you know understanding the business element, understanding the talking element of being a producer, the journalist element, the creative element, yeah. then everything else I've learned from the amazing executive producers in our industry and, and commissioning producers. It's like that... It's like the Steve Jobs speech. It's only by looking back can you connect the dots, right? Yeah. At the time, you're kind of like just on your path, but then yeah. once you like, okay, that happened because exactly. I led to this, and now I'm doing this. Exactly, and it's very hard. And this very recently, I really, I can't. Well, not recently, but I've realised this more and more recently, and how important that was. How important the changing of mindset was to to get to to where I am. And I think most people aren't really patient with themselves. They they kind of look at these scenarios. And they're not patient, they're not really seeing what they're learning, they're not seeing the plan, and everything normally is going according to plan, but most people change the plan because they think it's not going well, you know what I mean, when it's like sometimes everything is working out exactly how it's supposed to, but then you fuck it up, Yeah, right. it's like, you know, who said this, I think Will Smith said it, it's like, everything's messed up, you know what I mean? There's a huge carnage and then you kick yourself in the balls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like you have to be able to to go through those things whilst, you know, so whilst in or- approaching in a good way. Do you think in order to in order to sort of understand where you are on that path and to know whether to stick or quit, there has to be an element where you kind of like you have a connection with whatever you might call it, your inner self or something more spiritual or a higher path yeah to keep you on track yeah I, for you anyway yeah absolutely as far as i'm concerned i need that it would be very hard for me without that mindset because then it's up to you that's a very weird thing for me and to me if i look at the, the whole path of it there's been so many things that have happened that it's just been like if that had not happened or this had not happened that that mission mother deal so many things had to come in favour simultaneously in order for that deal to happen. For this, sorry, it's a Tough Mudder one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. For that deal to Can happen, I, so, so many just, things. Just quickly explain yeah. Tough Mudder, what, what that show was. I've done Tough Mudder <laughs> yeah. a couple of times. Oh, cool. I, I, I know the You're in great shape. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, I found it exhausting. <laughs> thank you, and nonetheless. Um, <laughs> What, so what was that show? Yeah, so essentially what we did for our first season is we got a bunch of Olympians to compete in three different Tough Mudders around the world. One was a, a small one, like a 5K in Los Angeles. Okay. We got to compete in a Tough Mudder in London, which is, I think it's like 15 miles. Yeah. And the, the toughest mud, which was the finale, which was 12 hours through the night. Wow. It was hard, man. And I, we were just curious. We, I like the hypothesis of... You know, these guys are amazing athletes and they're individual sports, but how good are they at something that is essentially a cross-training exercise? How far can they push themselves? I was just interested to see what they would do. And that's how that that essentially came about. So you came up with the idea from conception... Yeah, and, and, then, and, and that was hard because that's just, imagine it was tough because you, you you had no track record at that point, right? So yeah, how do you convince exactly. how do you convince these broadcasters that you can deliver you can it? it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, and that's what was hard. So that's how did the, you? Well, yeah, yeah, I went to Sky and, I was, and Sky were like, "Wow, this is cool. Yeah, we like it. This is great." Yeah. I was like, okay, so you had what? You had a, like a, a pitch deck and all this, all like, sort of oh, yeah. shiny stuff. Oh yeah, well, yeah. It, well, it wasn't that shiny back then, Steve. Right. <laughs> More like an A4 piece of paper with some pictures on it and some yeah. writing. Now it's now right the back of a fag Yeah, now they're more shining. But I said it, so we, me, me and Sky had a meeting, uh, us and Sky had a meeting, which was me really at the time. 
and they were like, yeah, we like it. You know, we don't have cash reserves for commissioning. And I was like, okay, great. But before this, obviously, I'd, I'd talked to Tough Mudder and, uh, listen, we want to do this cool show. We think it could obviously be great. Could mm-hmm. be really, really exciting. They were like, yeah, this is really, really cool. Because uh, I, I saw it originally from the perspective of a brand perspective, like, could we make the show and you guys pay for it? And they were like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We like it. It's great. We, we're not going to pay for it. And I was like, okay, Sky, not going to pay for it. And so I was like, okay, so everyone wants it, but we have no money. Yeah. So how can we get around this? And it's a good, it's a good idea. Um, and so then I talked to our, 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 our program finance partners and obviously we had never met at the time and they're looking at this like 25 year old guy never made a show it's like <laughs> done some kind of corporates and commercials in the past and this, there's this huge deal on the table of, how, of getting the show done and they're looking at me like just with this, this element of disbelief and some of the guys we're really good friends now and we, we laugh about it sometimes one of the guys there would just stare me out for like half an hour straight he's what like an older mean? guy yeah yeah just like taking notes like you know is this guy full of shit or is, right. he, is he for real and I made sure I came to that meeting really dressed well and all that stuff and then they, they managed to, to, to do the deal for the show. They did a deal with Sky Media. They did a, a media deal with a, an agency uh, in order to, to get the show made. And then, yeah, we a Tough Mudder. Obviously, they were, they were quite hesitant at first. We were trying to move quickly. And f- as far as they're concerned, they were like, Jesus, this is moving a bit fast for us. We want to kind of have more visibility on this. And I'm like, guys, it's simple. You're, not, you're kind of getting all this. I, I literally, Steve, that was a thing that was so fascinating about that deal. I had to really be across every element of that deal. So I bought that all of those things to the table. I bought Sky to the table, bought the program financiers to the table, bought Tough Mother to the table, and then there was us who would produce the show, right? And so if I didn't have that, that's the thing when you start to deal with a lot of money and you're not a big player, is that people will try and cut you out. Not to say none of those, those any of those people tried to cut me out, but especially when you're dealing with Americans. It's dangerous, you know what I mean? Oh, so Tough Mudder is an American-based company, is that Correct, right? yeah. Okay. And so it's like, you have to, they're like, well, who, who Wilson Worldwide? Why are they doing a show about us? Yeah. Isn't this our show? Like, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. okay. And so, and, and that's obviously a different mindset to the, the creative mindset that we have here in America. Producers are essentially for hire. They don't own anything. Mm. You know what I mean? And in the UK, that's literally the complete opposite. So explaining that was interesting, having you're not really coming to the table with all the bartering power. So that was a really interesting deal to make. And then once that was done, everything became much, much easier because you then have a track record of making a show for a decent right. budget for a major broadcaster. Then it's like, well, we've done this. You know what I mean? And even if you don't want to give me factual shows or factual or, or, or scripted shows in the glass, you can you can always look and say say that we've done sports entertainment uh, observational based uh, content, and so we could always have we, we can always do that content now, and we're still obviously working on more more of that stuff today. But it it then helped us transition into different types of content as right. well, and that was that was hugely important. So going back to um, you know set what we're talking about in terms of like having something whatever it might be some kind of like spiritual aspect something to get you through all mm. of like you know whatever the obstacles you came across during those times how does that manifest itself for you are you somebody are you a guy that do you like to meditate do you pray is is there some specific like spiritual aspect that for you mm. is a game changer yeah i mean i mean for me i was raised i was raised as a christian you know it, it, it was just part of my part of my upbringing mm. 
and then the more and more I grew up, the more I kind of, the more I realised, and, and I'm, I'm still, I still, I, I believe in God just from the perspective of, I, I just think it's kind of obvious that we were created, and I don't really, you don't, it's not something you really want to go into into to huge detail, but there's just too many random things that I see, and I, I would just, I would, I would just be hard pressed to not believe that. Even if you believed in flying monkeys creating us, I think you, you, I just, uh, it's highly, highly unlikely, given where our species is, that there wasn't an element of design. Mm. I think it's pretty proven that we were designed in some way. Things don't just evolve. This water bottle is not going to turn to metal. It's always going to be plastic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think our bodies, are, we're not just designed to evolve by ourselves. The intelligence has to create intelligence and we are an intelligent being. So I think we were designed by someone. Now, granted, no one knows what that is. You know what? You can't prove it. It can't be proved. But what can you prove? You can, I think what you, we can do as a society is understand what the right way to be is, the right way to treat people. And you look at certain people throughout history that have done fantastic things and have been great role models, and you look at a guy like a Martin Luther King or someone like that who's, who fought for equality for people that didn't have equality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and you relate that to a guy from uh, a, uh, a doctrine like, like Zaki Jesus or someone like that who, by all accounts, you know, treated people fairly and equally and believed in loving people. And so in my mind, that's how my mindset is. You know, I, I want to treat people in the right way. That's how I view that, you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people sometimes mistake the a religious aspect of something with that element of it. I don't think that's anything to do with religion. I think the, the, the treatment of individuals and being able to look at someone as someone to look up to as it pertains to those elements of things, I think is kind of makes sense. I think that's a really positive thing. And as it pertains to kind of my my element and my outlook, as you alluded to before, to circle back. I certainly have a lot of faith in the perspective that there's, there's just more to things than meet the eye. As, as I told you, there were so many things that had to fall into place throughout my life to get to where I am. And I just don't believe that's a coincidence. I, I'm sorry, it's just, it's just hard for me to believe that certain things happen coincidentally at the right place, at the exact right time. At the right, if I was 10 seconds too late, it wouldn't have happened. I just don't believe that, that that's all a, a coincidence if that happens hundreds upon hundreds of times. It's just highly unlikely to me. It just, it just, just from a, a, even if you're a scientific individual, just from the perspective of probability, it's less than 1%. You know what I mean? Of that, of good things consistently happening and figuring out things constantly and giving yourself more of a, of a percentage of opportunity. So when I go through life and I think about these things, from that regard, and I think about the perspective, I, every time I go to, to, to a gym or I go to a spa, I sit and I meditate and I relax and I just, and I just kind of, I just visualise and I think about things and I pray and do all these different things and I just, it just levels me out, man, and it just helps me, first off, just be thankful for the fact that I'm alive and I get the opportunity to even be here, no matter how hard stuff is sometimes. And stuff is hard, even even for, for Wilson Worldwide. There's obviously elements that, that's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important, first of all, to just be thankful that you're, you're here in the first place and that I can just do little things, like talk to you and I can see and do all this stuff. And it just puts things, it puts things a, a, a balance immediately. 
And then you can think of, you know, I wish I can learn, get, if, if I could get the wisdom to, to learn to do this better or to understand this better. I don't ever say I want tons of money. I want fucking fuck because that's pointless. Mm. I want to learn how to do this better. I want to learn how to produce this type of show or do this. Because essentially, that's what that's what I want to do, Steve. So when it comes consistently learn. So when you were talking before about visualization, yeah, how do you go about doing that? Will you sort of visualize yourself uh, running a new uh, show and uh, soaking in that knowledge? Or you know, everyone's got their own versions of what visualization is to them. Some people like hear Conor McGregor talking, for instance, yeah, and he'll visualize every aspect of the training leading up to the fight where his opponent is going to hit him and how he's going to respond so he's visualising not just the positives mm. but also how he's going to deal with the obstacles along the way absolutely is that how your visualisation uh, manifests itself or is it sort of less specific than that uh, yeah I, I, I like that you know in terms of that that abject preparation of being prepared for, for all areas I mean I just like to approach a situation Knowing, following a certain system, knowing that there may be there will. In fact, I think there will always be problems that need to be solved. But I think every problem can be solved, even if, for example, it takes it takes you know you not approaching that thing. You know what I mean? And backing out of that deal. There's every problem has a solution, and that's essentially what makes all this so fun. So when we talk about you know visualization and having that mindset of seeing of, of having an understanding of how, how things are going to turn out and using that to kind of manifest some some real world application of life I think that, that that's obviously a pretty cool thing and I think you obviously have to you have to believe that that, that that's plausible yeah. but I think it's I think you have to understand how the process of how you're going to do that. You know what I mean? Like you, can't, I, you can't just sit there and visualise and do nothing about I it, I think right? that's insane. Yeah. And, that, and the, the <laughs> biggest... Unfortunately, the biggest people that do that are generally actors. Actors generally believe that, oh, shit, I'm going to make it, I'm going to go to this place, I'm going to tear it up and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you, you have to have a plan. Everyone has to have a plan. Yeah. Like, even you, you, you talking about McGregor before... He trains for, for ages. Hours and hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he visualises it because he believes it because of the training he does. Yeah. So similarly, if you have that plan in place before and you know what you're going to do and you just follow it, the, the, a, a mindset of being positive, of, of working hard, of pounding the pavement as it pertains to talking to people, you know what I mean? Giving yourself those opportunities, knowing that there, there's not really a time frame on it. You know what I mean? Seeing the opportunities, capitalizing, just very, very knowing where you want to be. Because I think a lot of people, they don't actually know where they want to go. So when the opportunity arises, they can't see it. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I like I always, <laughs> when I was in sales and marketing, I really wanted to live in Miami, right? So I was like, I wish the company opened an office in Miami. And they were opening an office in Toronto. I was like, oh, but that's not Miami. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, Toronto is so close to Miami. Why not go there first, get a, a good understanding of North America, even though obviously it's Canada, and then and then go from there. You know what I mean? And it's just seeing how you can get closer to to where you are in that sense. So from a visualization perspective... Did you make it to Miami? No. <laughs> but no, it changed, right? The, yeah, the, 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 everything the plan changed. changed yeah. Exactly. You went with it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about life. You never know how it's going to yeah, turn out, Steve. Totally. You, know, you, you don't know. But you know that, that you know it's going to be good if you keep following those same principles. You don't just get down yourself. Because sometimes, 
My mother always used to tell me, when one door shuts, a better door opens. Right. You one know minute, what I mean? One minute you're planning to hang around with Craig David in Miami. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's like, you know, when something doesn't go according to plan, don't mope. Look for the other opportunity. And there's always been another opportunity. Okay, so you, I mean, ever, ever since we've met, for me, you've always been this, like... Hugely positive guy. Yeah. I love that about you. Do you ever? <laughs> I get, get a butt. <laughs> do you ever? You no, know, there's no butt. I'm, I'm hoping there is to make myself feel better. Do you ever get negative? And if so, like, how do you deal with negativity? I can't imagine you ever getting negative. Well, I get sad. You get sad. About absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be a human being. You'd, you'd absolutely you'd be a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> or a psychopath. Well, Steve, yeah. <laughs> that's what my people call me in the office. <laughs> Behind my yeah. back, of course. Sometimes in my face and as they well. They told me to make sure I make some nice podcasts. <laughs> but um, I think a lot of times we confuse positivity with happiness. And positivity is not happiness. Posi- the juxtaposition of positivity is not sadness. It's almost being indifferent. You know what I mean? I, I think that being positive is having a mindset. It's having a specific mindset to almost keep going. Yep. You know what I mean? You yeah. can be sad and be positive yep. very easily. You know what I mean? And it's, 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 I, I'm a human being. There are days where, you know, something may not go according to plan. There's a, a show that I love and I think, well, it's a, it's a shoo-in. To shoot and how can they not take everything done? We got funding, we got this talent, we got that, and they'll say no. I'd be like, motherfucker, right. seriously? You know what I mean? But I'll bounce back from that in ten seconds. Sure. Well, you need to have like an internal monologue or a conversation with yourself in order to bounce back, or you literally just shrug it off. Well, Steve, I just, you know what? I I just understand the perspective of there's another broadcaster. Yeah, there's always there's another be opportunity. There's yeah. another this, but it's on the back burner. We do this. The, just, it's just not the be-all and end-all. I think a lot of people, they get that, and they don't live in a world where there's other opportunities, like it's that or nothing. And when some one person says no, they get defeated. And I, as I mentioned, I worked in commission sales. So we got tons of those. <laughs> you know what I mean? We got tons of those, man. It was, it was a frequent thing. But in my mind, it was just law of averages. Uh, if I spoke to 110 people, if my team spoke to spoke to 50 people, I knew that three people would be interested. Out of those three people, two people would do it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, the rest and so, fuck off, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> but then it's like you know. But yeah. then you still you're still positive with those people. You still let that. So I I use the same concept here almost. Yeah, and it's that same that same mindset that I have that it doesn't affect me so obtusely. That that it, that it changes my mindset about sure. things. Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, if you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference and the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. You you seem like a, a natural born leader, like in terms of here, <laughs> Yeah. have you taken like any leadership courses or management courses? Because suddenly, you know, Overnight, you're running a company, you've got these people working for you and stuff. Yeah. And you've got to be like a big responsible adult. Yeah. 
Have you, yeah, have you, have you taken any training or have you just learned as you've gone along? Well, I was very, very lucky when I was in sales and marketing when I was young. So instead of going to, I had a choice, I could have gone to university, but I ended up, you know, I got an internship at the company and then, you know, I, I kind of, I, I went from there and I worked there when I learnt there. Right. And so I was very lucky. I had some great mentors that were in the company that taught me how to how to manage a team. This is when I was very young, 19, 20 years old. Wow. And I and I had people on my team at 45. Really? You know, working on you. Working on commission. And they, well, they did really, really well. Oh, fantastic. You know what I mean? Because I was able to, to teach them because I knew what I was talking about. I may have been young, but I was good at what I was doing. Right. And so I very early got the, the training and the ability to be able to manage and talk to different types of people. You know, Duncan's like is, is you know, fifty you know, in his late fifties. You know what I mean? Holly and Katie are in the, are in their twenties. Yeah, but that's it's a completely different way. I talked to Duncan, I talked to Holly, but I still taught them all on the level. Sure. You know what I mean? So I was very lucky at an early age in my twenties that I learned how to how to do that, how to coordinate that. Because absolutely, that you, it can't just be about the creative and it can't just be about skill set. Mm. You've got to be good with people. Otherwise, you just end up getting eaten alive with these things. So, you know, the concept in learning is to learn from someone that's doing, that is either able to teach you as a, as a curriculum that can teach you, or they're doing it better than you and you copy them. Mm. And I was in an environment where someone was already doing it. Um, my regional director, my, my director, my manager at the time, uh, and they obviously had, you know, a, a company, region director managed, you know, a bunch of companies. And, and they, those were the people that taught me how to be able to deal with, with different types of individuals and different scenarios, different conversations to have. You know what I mean? And so now when it happens, I'm, I'm very comfortable with it. I'm, I'm so conditioned to have to deal with it. And obviously sales is, is a pretty, it's a mid to high turnover environment. So you deal with new people all mm. the time. Right. And so you and, and that's separate from sales itself, where you still have to deal with a huge amount of people. So you get so much experience with people that it makes it makes a lot of these comfortable a lot of this comfortable. So not from the perspective of, you know, oh I have an NCVQA in management, but from the perspective of real world application, I would say so, yes. Are you an avid reader? In terms of like, yeah, I guess like not even necessary industry stuff, but yeah, you strike me as someone that reads a lot. I could be better, really? quite frankly. I mean, I, I I haven't read a fiction book in, in a couple of years now. Oh, it's me not, too. It's not really good. I I, I I I could do better, but I find my time is waning. I find I don't have the time that I I used to. I I should really make time, just separate some hours or an hour and just read. But I I do find it very hard to do. Do you do, I, do you uh, listen to audio books? The last audiobook I listened to was a project that we're developing called oh, really? False Impression. Okay. So I listened to that because I had to. Right. And, you know, and it was like, it's a project I kind of wanted to understand. Yeah. But generally, no, I, I read a lot of articles to do with projects. I read obviously a lot of news pieces. I find sure. what's going on information wise, pop culture wise. But yeah, I, I just haven't had a lot of time to read fiction or non fiction elements, which are, it would be really, really good. It's tough. It is tough. But I found audiobooks a good way of just catching up with stuff because you're just on the go, you know, yeah. wherever you're just like walking down the street, public transport. I like it. The only thing that I find a little bit off-putting though is yeah. sometimes some of the people's voices, the narrator's yeah. voices. I mean, <laughs> it's a bit if, cheesy. Yeah, like, <laughs> I listened to Kevin Hart's autobiography and it was Kevin Hart doing that, so that was cool. Really? But then sometimes you just have random narrators. Yeah. And you just, no, this, this is 
doesn't sound like how I imagine the yeah. author's voice to sound like. Because when you're reading something, you're putting your own voice to those words. Mm. You're reading it in your own way, right? But now it's being forced upon you in an audio book. That's an interesting point. So it's sort of like, suddenly it can be a little bit off-putting. But I still think it's incredible to be able to just like walk down the street and just, you know, you're just listening to a book as you're walking yeah. down the street. Yeah, it is. Same it with is. a podcast. You're just taking information constantly. Yeah, yeah. It is good, isn't it? And podcasts are crazy. Now, I love. I mean, yeah. It's amazing. The birth of, of podcasts and their popularity and some, some of the views. It's just mad. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's, it's like, so relaxed. Right? I feel so chilled just talking to you. Like, I've done radio stuff before where it's much more like, you know... It's a bit more... So, Josh, tell me a bit. <laughs> exactly. It's I used bit... to be a radio presenter. Like, yeah. I know that game. Uh, of course. Yeah. The time is called to ten in, coming out yeah. from Rihanna. <laughs> you got it. You got the voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this is what's great. But, I mean, like, this is a reflection. For me, the podcast is a reflection of what the internet has done. It's sort of... You've got all these subcultures which perhaps existed mm. but weren't as accessible, you know, prior to the internet... And then they became more accessible. People are able to find information that's specifically relevant to them. Mm. And that's very much true of podcasts. Whereas before you had to listen to the radio at a certain times, certain shows. Now you're interested in serial killers. There's podcasts on serial killers. No, they're super popular. What is the difference between... True radio? crime, sorry. Yeah. yeah. What's the difference between radio and podcasts? Like, is there a, ta- like, do you, is there a tangible, like, like, is there a definition different? Or is it's, it just... It's, I think it is merging now because obviously, you know, like, so BBC, they've got the iPlayer and now they've got BBC Sounds where essentially they're going to be creating this podcast. You can go to BBC iPlayer and you can listen back to shows. Yeah. But that aside, let's say you're in your car listening to Magic FM. And again, you go on the internet, you can listen back to those shows, I'm sure. But the idea is you're listening to that show live and you're, you're listening to perhaps a drive time presenter, you know, talking to the audience or his listeners and mm. you know and, and they've got a specific playlist that they'll play i'm giving quite a commercial yeah, example yeah, of course of course but with podcasts obviously you just download them onto your phone you choose what you want to listen to uh, whether it's like a, an interview like this or a dj set etc the difference is you can customize your listening experience so would you say it's a, di- this, it's a very similar analogy to um svod's to linear television yeah, I think Would, there's... Is that, is that a good way to put it? I think it? that's a good comparison, yeah. Okay. I think so. Well, that's streaming interesting, platforms. isn't it? Yeah, and that's, you know, hence the explosion, because yeah. people want choice, don't they? But now we're overloaded with choice. Yeah. Like, I'm sometimes paralysed deciding, you know, what to listen to. What podcast should I listen to today? Oh, I don't know, Scooby as Pip, or... There's just so many. Do you ever think that will change, as it pertains to, like, you know... Like it, it, yes, Because do. do you think that... Do you think it would be a good idea to have some kind of platform... Almost like a Netflix, but for podcasts, it's that's available. So you can go onto Acast, for yeah. instance, and that's a audio platform. But they're becoming. I think these platforms will become more and more niche because that's really the only way to go, isn't it? You look at Netflix. I mean, I don't know about you, man, but I spent hours content, wasting man. deciding what to watch. There's so much, so and, much. And, and it seems it's weird because they've tried to address it. So sometimes you'll go on Netflix, and it will seem like there's only a cache of like 80 shows or 100 shows yeah but then you realise there's not 80 or 100 shows there's a thousand and then there's like 2,000 or 3,000 it's like you know you realise that there's just this huge amount of possibility in terms of content it makes it daunting because of that but they they try and say oh you watched you you watched this this, so you you must like this same like Amazon you bought this book so you like this book and it works that generally does work 
But I don't know about you, I find the balance between, because, you know, being in the industries that we're in, I guess you need to, you know, you need to do your research, you need to do your homework and see what's out there. Mm. But at the same time, I don't like watching too much. I, I, you know, I need to have a break from all that because if I'm focusing too much on what other people's output is, then how am I going to have the space and time to come up with my own original ideas and concepts and also just uh, just have a break from it, really? Mm. Yeah, it is interesting. I'm curious. I'm curious to see what podcasts do. I do listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. Do you like it? I find it fascinating. Yeah. He, like, that guy, store, he seems to be able to store a hell of a lot of information. Yeah, in his brain. yeah. He comes across like a very intelligent individual. Very very opinionated obviously yeah and the way he the way he lives is fascinating like i saw this video of him he was uh hunting deer yeah and it was like people were fucking livid man in this thing but he's like catch it and eats it yeah that's and then it's like uh, he he hunts his own food he hunts his own food yeah and then he skins it he guts it and then he eats it perfectly fine you know what I mean? Where do you think if you're a meat eater, you right. can't say anything? Exactly. Granted, obviously. How do you think that stuff is being exactly and displayed exactly. in a nice shiny package? Exactly. And so he's he's essentially hunting free range free range food, which is that negative? No, not if you're it's a meat eater. Opinion, How could isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. If you obviously if if you're you're not on that vibe, if you're about sustainability, etc., then it's obviously not as good. But he's not. He's, then he's not hunting cows. True. So it's like, <laughs> did you so see the? Um, did you listen to the interview you did with Mike Tyson? Um, I really want to see it. I've so seen good. it. It's it really fascinating. I know. It's so fast because Mike Tyson's on this. His whole, stories. His stories, but like he's on a different. Uh, he's on a different level now. He's like trying to find like self realization. Really? He's been doing like DMT. I, I didn't really? really mention like ayahuasca or something like that. Yeah, they love that stuff. I, th- I feel Have like he mentions it all the before? time. No. I did DMT <laughs> for the first and only time last summer. Right. And it was a crazy experience. Really? Yeah. I saw anyway these uh, pharaohs and gods and all like these like hyper colours coming towards me. Really? It was, it was yeah, it was crazy. Do you, it's, it's so fascinating to me, like what that is, because people don't know... You know what I mean? And, that and just feels like it's opening to another gateway yeah. within our subconscious or even beyond that, that we're not capable of yeah. even understanding or tapping into on a conscious level. Yeah, exactly. I, I would agree with that with that, that perspective. And it's, it's, I find it's very hard because you don't know. Obviously, people are afraid of what they don't know. That's the thing about our society sometimes is that if, if something is not scientifically approved, then no one believes it. You know what I mean? Like, people are slowly starting to accept CBD and stuff like that because now it's, it's approved. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. been around for ages, but now it's okay. You know what I mean? In certain people's eyes. And it, it's, it's very interesting. They talk about that and DM, DM, DMT and the penal glands and different, you know, different aspects of you. But my whole thing is, what I've always been petrified of is I have to trust the person giving it to me. I don't actually know what I'm taking. That's always a scary thing. I don't know what it is. Mm. And I guess that's the, the concerning part for me is I'd have to trust that person. Even if I did it myself and I chopped a mushroom off a tree or something. No, I, At least you know the source of it. Yeah. I don't understand it. Well, that's, that's, you, that's scary for me. They have um, these shamans, right? right? So what they'd have in sort of the Amazon where traditionally you might go to, say, Peru or somewhere to do it. 
or other parts of South and Central America, they now have shamans in the UK. So I went to a shaman. Wow. I was recommended to go to this shaman. And uh, it was a very interesting experience because, I don't know, you have certain connotations. You think, like, a shaman's going to be that sort of, like, this spiritual type person. Yeah, yeah. I had this guy pick me up in his Range Rover. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, you know, all right, mate, uh, listen, <laughs> we just got to make a quick stop on the way. <laughs> pick up his wife and, and, like, a crying baby along the way. No. And then we get there, we go into his, like, sort of shame room and it's all very shamanic. And, uh, shamanic. We sort of, like, I don't know, it's like all the, like, this spiritual sort of, I don't know, items everywhere. Yeah. And we're getting into it, and as we're getting into it, uh, his baby sort of, like, comes in, like, walks in crying, and he's like, no, no, daddy's working, and he no. turns around to me, because he can see I had a funny look on my face. He's like, look, mate, what can I say? I'm a modern-day shaman. <laughs> <laughs> every, every, everyone lives a domesticated life. And I thought it was brilliant. Um, it, was, uh, it was a very interesting experience. But, yes, my point being that you can go to these people who are qualified. They've actually yeah. got qualifications and, and they specialise in it and they do these sort of group ceremonies over a course of a weekend or even longer. And, you know, it sounds like it'd be pretty intense. The thing about DMT, which I liked, is only a 20-minute trip, whereas ayahuasca is like eight hours. Jesus. And you're purging as well, right? So you've got So purging is where... So essentially... If you don't feel the effects, partly that is due, due to being spiritually blocked, they say, and then that can result in you purging, i.e. throwing up, okay, to unblock yourself, right? I see. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what happened with me. Like, I had, a, like, a few rounds. You, you smoke, like, what is the equivalent of, like, a spliff, but it's like this DMT stuff. Right. You smoke, you know, 10 puffs of it. I just felt very, like, nauseous. And they said, okay, it looks like you're going to purge. I did, like, four rounds after four rounds, you know, I purged and then afterwards I felt really light and I was like, I think I'm done now. And he said, no, no, because now you've purged, now you're ready to take it in. I was like, oh, all right. So then I did a couple, like 10 more tokes yeah. and then that was it. Closed my eyes and sort of, I was in another world. Really? I was in another world. It was really interesting. Whether it has a, like a long-term effect or not, I don't know. I think ayahuasca is supposed to be more of like this more powerful one where you, you, know, it can, be, you can have major shifts. I think people might go there with something very specific that they want to work on, but it can be very powerful. You see kind of like really intense visualizations. Yeah. Well, and I don't know, eight hours, man. Like if, what if there's bad trips? I want to be putting that for eight hours. Eight hours. <laughs> but imagine what that can do to you. I can imagine. I like, like, like from a, a brain perspective, right? I mean, because you get people that have panic attacks, right? The people that have like that go like, off the flipping, you know, they they go off like yeah. mentally and they flip and they 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 get into like catatonic states and stuff. Obviously, I'm not saying that that's necessarily related, but because I don't know, it would be hard. You know what I mean? It'd be hard to 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 go to that level. I remember when people talked about um, I don't even know the difference in these things, but someone was talking about LSD. And he said, like, you were standing there, like a vortex opened up. And he's like, like, you know what I yeah, mean? Yes, that's, that's, that's a common occurrence. Like, well, you know what they're doing in Silicon Valley? They're doing microdosing now. So they, they, they microdose on very small amounts of LSD and even DMT. Because they think it opens up to creativity. It opens up right? to creativity, but it's not to the point where you like, look like you're gurning off your face. <laughs> but, I can see that being an issue. Yeah, right? Uh, can you get back to work? <laughs> Yeah, I love you, man. Have you? Uh, <laughs> fucking love you. Ah, <laughs> oh, the classic girdings. You see people in club. <laughs> it's not, their face off. It's not the best look, is it? Oh, God. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's so interesting. I don't know. I mean, yeah. It, Being it's, out in it's, LA was crazy because they've got... Happened? 
well that you know that weed's legalized now so you yeah. can go into these i went to this uh, place called medmen i don't really smoke weed in, yeah. in the uk but it's fascinating to go in there and it's like laid out like an apple store very very slick and then they've got all these different products so that's smart edibles different types of weeds and then they'll see you know they'll have these the salesmen there who are very knowledgeable and they're like what type of high are you looking for do you want something chilled do you want something to make you laugh etc and um yeah it's just this phenomenal sort of shopping experience <laughs> that is normalized out there because obviously Amazing. it's legalized but done in a very slick way well, that's what I found about Los Angeles. It was I. I remember I was in a bar with some, with a with a, a friend of mine who's a singer out there, and we, we were in this place. I can't remember what's the bloody road called. It's really popular in Los Angeles. It's not Sunset. A, no, no. I think it was with an M. Okay. Rosedale, maybe. Ah, oh, no. It's like a really popular. Melrose. Yes. Melrose. Melrose. There you go. There we go. My man. Yeah. So we were in a restaurant in Melrose. Fucking, you could put CBD in anything. Yeah, yeah. They, they were like, do you want CBD in your wine, sir? I was like, CBD in my wine? Huge business. Of man. course. <laughs> but you can't, CBD tastes like, it has this weird flavour to it. Mm. If you have it like so, you put in wine, you can't even taste it. So, but did it have any effect on you? Did you get high at all from no, it? No, well, CBD is... It just makes you more chill, doesn't it? Yeah, CBD yeah. is not psychoactive. Yeah. So it's basically to relax you, right. essentially. And it relaxes you and it... And it and it can help out with certain symptoms. Okay. So people that have seizures will have like a high dose of CBD to relax the body. Almost like a muscle relaxant, but that, that isn't, that doesn't just incapacitate you. Okay. You know what I mean? It's on like another level. And so, yeah, which is interesting, but it's hard to tell what's the CBD and what's the wine. Right. <laughs> you're having two different drugs essentially simultaneously. Sure, yeah. So, and they got CBD water. They've got CBD everything out there. Yeah. It's just so popular. It's so popular. It's so and so imagine, give it however many years, it's going yeah. to be the same in Europe. Once they oh, legalise it over here as well, it's crazy because they've got like these. They've got funds now. Who there's a European fund called I think it's called Civita, and they specialise in purchasing uh, European cannabis companies. Really? Yeah. So um, and yeah, people will invest in that. Um, and then they've got huge ones in the US. That one recently, I think, got bought out. Tilray, or one of these guys, got bought out by Diageo. Wow. You know, like, just crazy. That crazy is money. nuts. I think they got bought out, or there was talks of it, and then their, like, stock price just rocketed up. It's so interesting to me. They just happen so slowly. Then all of a sudden, it's this Ooh. huge thing. And that's the thing with CBD. It has so many good health health benefits to it. Everyone's trying to keep it silent. Like, you know what I mean? The same thing as how blockchain is. Soon, everyone will be using blockchain. They won't even know. It's such a good concept that you just end up... You Most people will just use it naturally so we were when talking, they're doing business deals and stuff. We were, we were talking about briefly before. I didn't ask you. Do you invest in, in any of the cryptocurrencies? No, I, I, clear. Mate, I, I'm so bad. I don't really get it. Well, I, I understand it. But it, it's, a, it's a bit too much for me. <laughs> like, you know, I was able to understand it in, in better terms uh, over the past week because we're working on a project, um, a TV project around it. Uh, and I saw this app in terms of the utilization of switching fiat, you know, so real cash, so yeah. to speak, to uh, a crypto coin uh-huh. and utilizing that crypto coin and how easy those transactions then become. Which is great, you know what I mean? Because obviously the blockchain acts as like that digital ledger, and then it, and then you can then obviously make make those purchases in a way that is 
smooth and convenient and you're not fumbling around with cash or your phone and all this stuff. Technically, there are ways that we, we already kind of do that. So like you like could, PayPal, for instance. Yeah, you could, a... well, you could even technically have... You could open a tab in somewhere and just and do it that way, theoretically. Mm. But I guess the good thing about... I don't know. I guess the good thing about it is 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 the convenience, I guess the ease of access and, and the safety and security from from the, the other side of other side, you know, in that in that sense. Which is interesting. But I'd, I'd, I would like to learn more about it, but I'm not, I'm not as adept as I think as you are, because obviously you've done stuff. In I'm the really room. not, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really, like I told you before, like I invested some cash and I like got greedy and I just stayed in too long and then I lost it all. Yeah. Um, but the, the 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 issue I found with it is that there's all these new coins that are constantly being created, uh, these tokens, and yeah. s- some of them have worth, and other of them are just sort of like money making schemes where they're raising cash. And then it's based on bullshit, mm. and then they collapse, and you know, loads of people lost their money. So having to navigate which is actually it's crazy, you know, which which are actually of use and effective, that's time consuming. That's almost like a full time job. And I don't know, I'm not, I'm a comedy guy. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to be doing that for? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think I was learning a bit about asset backed coins so coins that are backed by an asset okay which makes them essentially tangible it makes them more uh what's the term more stable right much so like much more stable. property ones for instance yeah it's but it is, it's asset backed by that yeah. you know yeah. what i mean or gold or oil you have specific you have something that's backed on, on a tangible product yeah then it, it's much it's, it's literally a much more stable thing i i believe okay. from my limited knowledge yeah it's, it's interesting i mean i always try and make sure i'm learning about all these things but some things i'm just gonna have to keep learning about which is concerning because i don't if, if i still don't get and i've been explained it a bunch of times it's still hard for me. I think that's like, the problem. You know, like, you know, you have these, these, you know, the talk of this, this becoming sort of the, the next thing and it's going to be adopted worldwide. Mm. But I, it's a bit like Brexit. It's like no one fucking knows yeah. what's going on. Yeah. You know, like if, if, if we're taught in very basic, simplistic terms, fine. But at the moment, it's still a lot of unknown to, for it to be adopted, I think, on a wide world, on a worldwide scale. Yeah. Well, it's like how it affects you, isn't it? How does it affect you? You know what I mean? I think that's what people ultimately care about. Can I use this to buy milk? Can I use this to get my, my shopping? Can I use this to do my food shopping? Yeah, in a way Can that's I use this easier. to travel. Yeah, exactly. and more straightforward than what the current process is. It's just not straightforward. People just don't don't get it. No. You know what I mean? You trying to plant something, it's like, I don't care. Can, can I buy something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Can I, can I give it to someone and they give me something back? You yeah. know what I mean? And, and I, I just do not think people currently understand what that means. But I mean, I guess if you did all your cash in crypto, that would be interesting because then you'd have to consistently trade for new coins and do all that stuff. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know like, the, the benefits of doing that, of just having everything in crypto. What are the well, benefits? Think, like, the benefits of doing it, you know, five years ago is yeah. that you'd be a billionaire by now. Yeah. But yeah. that's, you know, everything in hindsight, right? Yeah. It's fascinating. I've, you know, I've read some crazy stories about this one Dutch guy sold everything, uh, sold his house, sold everything, and him and his family sold it all to, to Bitcoin, and him and his family went traveling in a camper van or something, and they were just going to wow. wait for it to just go up and up and up. Really? I mean, that is like putting all your eggs in one basket. Literally. That would make a great documentary. Something you need to track, <laughs> you need to track that guy. 
Yeah, that is really trusty in the past, isn't it? Because it was so high at one point, now it's just so low. And no one knows if it's going to come no back. Knows. And no so no one wants to reinvest it. But everyone before... It had the same had the same mindset before it went so so high. I think everyone was like, "I wish I would have invested it," but it was like sixteen grand a coin or something stupid. Was, yeah, I think now it's like a grand something a coin. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? It's yeah. like it, you know, it's it's, it's crazy. crazy. But then I think didn't the financial markets get involved? So they now uh, they're involved in futures with it. So from what I understand, they're able to manipulate the market. So. They've brought it down on purpose so that they can buy loads. Wow. The financial markets can buy loads. And then so they'll pump it back it, up. Right? But there's only a the certain m- amount of Bitcoin. There's only a certain amount people can mine. And apparently even that mining, that mining process has become a lot more expensive over mm. time for the miners. I mean, even that, I mean, it's crazy thinking about, like, we talk... You think about a mine. We're talking about. We think about like a physical mine. These are just computers. People are mining these coins that don't exist in physical form. I know. It's It's crazy. I know. And and that's the visual. That's the visual image that I had. Yeah. I had literally the image of people mining for fucking coins, right. and then you used to get these images of these coins with like the B on it. And I was like, oh, so yeah, so that's the Bitcoin. Yeah. I was like, okay, I get it, I get it. Then you know, a, a woman came into the office talking about um, crypto because we were developing the show around it, and she was like, no, 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 they're, they're like a data code. Like each coin is each coin is like is a is like a code. Yeah, it's a code. Yeah, like I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm. Crazy, and that's what I I couldn't understand. I could never wrap my head around that concept. You you just everything is digitalized, but they're giving it a real world analogy. For me, and that those, makes it so difficult. Those people, like you know, these developers are. For me, they're like aliens. They've got a different... <laughs> uh, they're looking... You know, I, the other day, I was sitting... When I was at the airport, there was a guy sitting next to me, a programmer, just looking at all these, these codes. You know, and to him, obviously, that's like the equivalent of English language. But I'm looking at it, it's just like, wow, this guy's yeah. got a different brain. And that takes a specific type of brain. I'm sure you can understand it. A few years ago, I actually spent some time trying to learn code. You can do these online courses. And I found yeah. it very relaxing. I really? did find it, yeah, found it a very relaxing process. But, you know, I was like, really? What am I going to do with this? I, yeah. And I just stopped doing it. But I think to really understand that type of thing, you have to have a very specific type of brain. Yeah. Would you agree or, or not? Or do you think it's something you just have to learn or you can learn? I guess like everything you learn these things. Yeah, but... I guess obviously you can learn, but you've got to find it interesting. Yeah, you've got to find it yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't know if I could do it, man. I, I don't know if I could sit and cut. It's just not how my brain works. I think I'd have to be a bit more kind of, I, I don't like the word introverted, but in that kind of mind of sitting and just understanding. Right. And, you know what I mean? I think you're right, yeah. It's, it's not really, I, I'm obviously quite a people person. I like to storytell. All of that involves communication. Yeah. And obviously this is, it's much more of a process of inner thinking inner understanding inner processing development creativity also and you're sitting there developing something but that doesn't necessarily involve the input of others it's, sure. it could be very much a solo project if you're doing with a team then it could be you know a mixed project but I think ultimately it comes from a perspective of of individualism yeah. which is interesting but these are the guys are really like they're changing the world aren't they yeah. you know one code one line of code at a time it's fascinating. It really is. Well, we were talking about this the other day. I think the most interesting thing 
in terms of development. I'm looking forward to our planet going for And think about it. We're, we're basically 30 now, right? You think about how much, you know, we've evolved. You know, we were the generation that were playing outside and we saw the advent of social media, the advent of the WWW or telephones. You know, I remember when I had the first phone that could play video, people used to crowd around it in class like I was some kind of an alien. It wasn't even, it was, I, they didn't even do the make anymore, you know what I mean? But it was like this huge flipping phone, man. Yeah, it was like yeah. this big. I had oh, like, do you remember when the, the, Matri- uh, the Matrix phone? The- oh, I really wanted that phone. My mum wouldn't get it for me. That phone was just so cool. That was. A, I don't think that, I think that's the coolest phone they've ever had. Oh. For, for, for fuck the iPhone. It was like... You know, oh mate, it was fantastic. You imagine the product placement deal that went on for that Matrix film because the sales must have exploded after it was in the oh, Matrix. Can you imagine? It's so cool. Yeah. And then the flip phones, the flip phones. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. was, it was, it was so, so, so interesting. It was so interesting. But yeah, my point is, we've we've obviously seen this huge development as it pertains to technology. Literally from when we were little to now. And I'm really interested to have the space. I think space is going to be a fascinating endeavour. And energy. And ju- AI. Juxtaposed, yeah. Energy, AI and space. I think those are some of the most interesting. And if you look at any futuristic film, you even you go back and you look at films that look at, you know, how we're going to live to this day. Obviously, they're a bit behind. They had, like, flying cars and stuff like that, which we actually do have, mm. but we just don't have it in real-world application yet. And those are the three things you see, right? AI, fast travel, uh, energy, space. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think it's going to be so interesting. They're working on a plane right now. We were able to get to Australia in five hours. Five hours. It's like, I think it's a UK company. And they flip the bloody thing. It goes into the atmosphere and goes down. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because the the earth is round. You just goes up diagonally, then goes down diagonally. And that's it. (laughs) Five hours, I'm moving to Australia. (laughs) So I guess the the flip side to all the future is, you know, the social media side of things. Yeah. And positives and negatives. How are you with social media? Do you enjoy social media? Are there any times that you find yourself... I guess slightly addicted to it um, mm. or does it have any negative effects or impacts on you personally it, it doesn't have negative impacts on me because I'm quite comfortable with, with who I am and I'm just essentially telling a story of my life really. it's almost like, like a diary yeah. I'm, just, I'm just putting stuff that I'm doing on do you me. use it for a professional like for Instagram for instance do you use that more for a professional capacity like this is me Josh Wilson trying to build my brand, as it were, yeah. as an executive producer, or also you're happy just to share your personal life yeah. on there? I think it's a bit of both. I think the personal life ends up having an impact on the business. Like most of my life is around business. Sure. Uh, obviously, our, our digital, so our social media team really likes it when, I, when I'm actively posting. So there's certainly a, a business element of it sure. uh, in that regard, which obviously makes, makes a huge difference to those guys. And I think when I'm posting stuff, it doesn't affect me in, in so much of a, of, a, of a negative way. But I would say a huge part of it is, is around um, business and yeah. around, you know, my, my kind of day-to-day goings-on. Um, and I try and make sure it's as populated as possible. And then for Instagram, yeah, it makes, makes a huge difference. I think I went to go and speak at a school uh, in City in Islington. 
no, telling it, and they wanted to teach it, asked a question about negatives of social media. And I was like, oh, because I'm, I'm, I never really, and quite rightly, I never hang out with 15-year-olds. <laughs> so they're talking about this stuff, about, you know, like social media bullying. I was like, how, how do people bully? Do they just say mean comments and stuff, like how I, how I would envision? Um, they're like, no, it's like, if you don't get enough likes, or you don't get enough, you know what I mean, views, you don't get enough comments, and it's like... So then, so the, then the bullying will tra- be transferred into the school or classroom. Some, sometimes delete their pictures. So if they don't get enough likes, they'll delete the picture. Yeah, you know what I mean. And th- that I guess is a huge, huge difference. In the because uh, I've never had to deal with that. Oh, I, I get you know a, a less likes. I fucking you know I I I I barely even look at it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like okay, there you go. But for for kids, it's a huge popularity thing. And I didn't know it affected them to that degree. You know what I mean? And there, there is a huge generation that has grown up with this social media thing, with digital footprint, digital presence. And that, that's fascinating to me how we've just gone through this huge shift from kind of being here throughout history, just kind of slowly in, in, in inclination every once in a while, then just, we're just fucking, we're skyrocketing. Yeah. You know what I mean with all this stuff, with the internet, AI and the digital presence and all this stuff. It's just... It's amazing. It'll be so interesting to see how this younger generation of kids mm. who've grown up with it turn out to be as adults. What what yeah. kind of impact it has on them, whether it be negative or whether it be positive. One thing I have noticed is that they are so much more savvy and switched on than I was when I was a kid. Yeah. I was playing with sticks and, you know, playing knockdown ginger. You know, the, the, the good stuff. We had, <laughs> had it good. Whereas these guys, because they have such access to information so quickly... Yeah. They're definitely more savvy, but I wonder, what, you know, whether there's any, de- you know, there's sort of a detrimental is, is a side to that. You know, you're you're losing something. I think you have to. You're losing. You're losing. You know, part of your childhood probably that that time, which is, I think, really important for creativity. Plays, you know, creativity, yeah. and whether you're, you're substituting some of that imagination by having so much screen time. It's interesting. I mean, when I was younger, you know, when I was growing up, really in the nineties. Uh, I I used to play video games all the time. Right? Video games were my thing. I used to love. I haven't played video games since two thousand and nine. I think two thousand nine, two thousand ten. What was your game of choice? The last games I used to play were really sports games. I really loved Madden. I yeah. really loved Madden NFL. NFL. I loved NBA Two yeah. K. Whatever it was. Like, I loved that Metal Gear Solid would be a big classic for Like that. you know what I mean? Yeah. Such good stories. Yeah. Uh, it was just it was just like they were like films. It's just like content. It was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had a bunch of screen time back then. And obviously now it doesn't change dramatically. I think kids now, you have to go to school, which means you have to end up, you end up interacting anyway. Yeah. But your knowledge, your knowledge of that sector, that that IT sector, your application is just completely different now. You know what I mean? So mm. as a result, that industry was just, it's just a huge industry now. It wasn't a huge, huge industry in the 90s. Think about how much money goes through the tech industry. Crazy. I was speaking to, I uh, met this game designer, I was in LA, and he was yeah. saying, now, you know, what used to happen is you'd have um, TVs or films, and then sometimes games would be designed as a result of these TV and films, where what's happening, uh, sorry, yeah, games would be would happen uh, would occur as a result of these TV and films. But what's happening now is the games are being designed, and then TV and films are being created off the back of the games, rather than vice versa. Yeah, you know. So 
like Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia. That's, a, yeah. that's the example he gave. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I was. It remember. makes sense because if you think about it, the games probably have a bigger built-in audience than the films would because you've got millions and millions of people playing them. So the brand or the story is already known. So of course, then if you can then release that as a film, they've already got some huge built-in audience. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was with a friend of mine. We were watching. Um, we were about to watch Captain Marvel, and they had a trailer for. I think it was. Rainbow Six, The Division, it was something like that, one of those Call of Duty type games. This trailer was so realistic. I think it was actually a live action. It was a live action trailer, right? Okay. And and she thought it was disrespectful that they were pretending to be veterans. And I was like, well, what's the difference between that and a film like Black Hawk Down? They're not real war veterans. It's like, well, that's different. That's a film. Like, no, it's not. It's content. <laughs> they are both pieces of content. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, the gaming industry... I can't remember what it was. Red Dead Redemption Two ended up turning that is over. A huge game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. did like, they just, like Grand Theft Auto turned over a billion. Crazy. One of those games. What the hell? Think about that for a second. It turned over a billion pounds or dollars. One of them. But it, it, it's a madness. lot of money. Yeah, madness. Now, ang- I mean, I, I, the figures on that Angry Bird, the latest game, that must have been crazy. It's just nuts. It's nuts. Or was it? What's the one? Um, What's the one where people were just running around riot in, in London? They had the AR game. You know, they're going around Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go, that. I mean, uh, that just blew my mind. It's, it's like a month. People they're people, like, they, they were like riots off the back of it. People were just going into like government buildings. Like, what the fuck are you <laughs> doing? <laughs> just looking for Pikachu. Just give me a second. <laughs> and then there was one video of someone who sort of made out that one of the really um, rare ones, he spotted one. He's like, uh, such and such is over there. And they went running over and he's like filming. He's like, ah, just kidding. <laughs> oh my God. It's like a mass riot. <laughs> he gets lynched in the street. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't surprise Madness. me. Wouldn't surprise me. I know you're you're a busy guy, so yeah. I'm going to finish with. Um, of course, your charity endeavours. Yes. So that yeah. for me, I've, you know, I found fascinating because you just drop that into conversation casually. Like, yeah, you know, got my own charity. No yeah. Deal. How did that come about? Is that is? Have you always been that way inclined? Is sort of like giving back something you've always naturally done, or is this uh, kind of? A scenario where you know you've got this production company it's up and running it's successful so now I want to focus on a ch- charity endeavour yeah. I, I think it's, it's the most important thing to me really has um, it always been for you overall yes okay the, the concepts in helping people because at the end of the day Steve I'm not going to be here in like 60, 70, 80 years time whatever it is and I'm, I'm always cognizant of that fact so what really matters to me is how I can no, it's not even about... I've never used the word legacy. I never really want to be known for charity. I never want, I never want to be thanked. Or it, it just, it just, it's not necessary for me. And it really annoys me sometimes. Sometimes the charity commission and the messaging, I'm like, so what's your annual turnover? I'm like, why would I have a turnover? It's a charity. And they're like, well, you're meant to the charity. And I think, no, I disagree. I don't think I'm supposed to. You know what I mean? I go out and I do this stuff for free. I bring internships. I bring interns in for free. Yeah. I don't get them to pay you to be here. Why do they want to know your... Very similar to your accounts if you're a business. That you're supposed to tell them how much money you've made. Okay. And then they're meant to declare that. Because charities don't get don't get taxed the same way, obviously, yeah, sure. as, as a business does. Yeah. 
and we turn over nothing mm-hmm. for the chair as a chair mm-hmm. right now like we've been running for two years I've done talks at, at a lot of different schools a lot of different institutions sorry just pause that just to pause there what, what's the name of the charity just to remind you Genesis Genesis G-E-N-I-S-Y-S and what's the goal the terminated Genesis spelling yes. not, the, not the Genesis spelling from the Bible or just neutral you know Oxford Dictionary yeah so our, our main goal when we um, incorporated so to speak the charity was to help people, people between the ages of 18 and 25 develop skills in certain professions in order to, to gain employment. I was always a big believer in the concept that if you had a skill, then everything else in life would follow off of that. That if you were able to survive, you know, a bunch of your life is spent working. So you need a skill that you enjoy in order to be employable or in order to gain money. You need that. It doesn't matter. It's not. It's nothing to do with the concept of oh, you know, you're just spending your life working and stuff. No, you have to find something that you enjoy doing. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. As I said, I wanted to be a taxi driver because I wanted to talk to people, and you just break it down to those layman's terms. And obviously, we focus most of that that effort on on the creative sector. We bring in people for internships all the time, and we want to expand that so we can help other companies bring in interns. But there's this, this block I always run into with the concept of of having to talk about how much money we're bringing. I'm like, God, I, I just don't see how that's relevant mm. to the conversation. You know what I mean? I, I do simultaneously understand it, but they always ask, you know, how much? Okay, so what are you bringing Who's in here? Uh, charity commission. Charity commission. Yeah, so every right. year they ask you to for your, your accounts, etc. Okay. And... I, of course, you're going to have charities that are turning over a ton of money. And they're like, like, can you declare this? You know, anti-money laundering, all this stuff, which I completely understand. But I, sometimes they get upset at me because it's like, you know, oh, you, you, you brought in like 10 quid. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But right. I, you know, the money invested into the charity as it pertains to us going to these places, that's, you know, it's from, from the company. I don't... I don't see Charlie in that way. I just I see it in a very different way. I see it as the literal definition of what what charity is is helping uh, almost with no thought of reward. That's how I've always seen it. Um, so I've always found that odd. But it's it's I can't explain to you how important it is for me to be able to help, even if it's even if it's a hundred, even if it's if it's ten people, to help people get to that stage from a, a skill perspective to give them some element of not meaning for as, as it pertains to a life perspective but an element of having that skill to be able to help them with their life meaning to be able to help them realize what that meaning is because you can't find it if you're sitting at home you can't find it if you're you're struggling you got all this stuff you to help people do that is extremely extremely important to me and so, yeah, that's essentially how Genesis came about. And, I, and we really want to keep doing that, uh, hopefully, in as many industries as possible and move that into different countries and, and, and progress it, which obviously does take, you know, development as it pertains to the commercial aspect of it. But I, I'm perfectly happy, you know, going and making sure we're talking in as many places as possible and giving people new mindsets because it's very strange to have an executive, a 28-year-old uh, executive producer it's just it's kind of it's not really fathomable it's like what are you like you know what I mean who is this guy what has he done you know what I mean to, to be perfectly honest and so it shows people that it can be done 
when I was younger, I thought it'd be impossible for anyone to be a pilot because it just used to cost unless you were you were only in the upper echelon of society as it pertains to your parental status or what your parents were doing. And you can become a commercial pilot if you're in the RAF. You know what I mean? For X amount of time, you learn to be a pilot. You can then trade that for your a commercial license, for example. I've already mentioned that to you before. Yeah, you have actually. I was just I was wondering when you mentioned that to yeah, you. Yeah, I fully when we were talking. That. And it's just, yeah. I, 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 feel, I just changed in that mindset, Steve. I don't, we, we came from a, a culture as a country where you had to, to have some element of social, social hierarchy. You had to have a certain profession. Like accountant, doctor, all these different Our things. Parents, banker, exactly, yeah. and I and I and I just don't think that's very good for life. Mm. You know, you can find a way to commercialize anything you do. I, I honestly, honestly believe that this podcast. You know, if we, we found a way, if you've got some amazing people on this podcast, you've got a bunch of you got a bunch of views, you can commercialize this podcast and make a living. This is really what you want to do. Mm. Then you can do a bunch of different stuff off the back of that. You know what I mean? And move into so many different industries if you want. Hold on, I'm just taking notes. <laughs> but it's it's. I I think that's really important for people to understand, and it's well worth um, spending my life doing it. And when the older I get, uh, what I really then want to do is is from hopefully the little experience that I gain from being in business, is to run some kind of venture capital firm or something like that where. I can help smaller companies traverse the steps that I had to go through to get to a decent stage as well. Once again, that's a charitable element that you would be that I'd be throwing out. Obviously, there would be, I'm sure there would be a commercial aspect to it, limited, of course, because you, you have to live, right? But once again, I, very, very important. That's I really like it. I like that concept and helping people do well yeah. and helping people progress in any in anything they're doing. Because to me, it's just a system. You know what I mean? If I move in, moved into any industry, if I wanted to start a podcast, and I call you up and say, Steve, so I want to do this podcast, you know, how do you do it? How did you set it up? How did you get the equipment? How do you do this? How do you hold a conversation? How do you do this? Do you keep eye contact? And everything you said, I just write it down. Yeah. I, and I do it to a T. Then I'd ask another person who I thought was good at podcasts, and another person, then I'd ask 10 people. Then I'd take the best from each of them. And then I would just apply it. Yeah. And that's really what it means by not having an ego, in my opinion. And then you just do it. Because you've already been taught by a bunch of people that are better than you how to do it. That's, that, you know what I mean? That's so simple. That, that, what you touched upon there, not having an ego, that for me is like, that's key, isn't it? For me, that mm. took me a long time it's to... Tough. Yeah, to control or to just like, uh, to tame that ego. It's understanding the base value. Yeah, in my mind, right. Understanding a base value of your ego comes from you doing well. You're going to do well if you learn from the best. Sure. And so I just changed my mindset from I'm good to begin with to I'm going to be good if I learn from these people. Sure. So you almost are feeding your ego by not being egotistical. Yeah. But then your whole yeah. mindset about the whole thing changes. And you're like, yes. why am I going to have an ego? So now I joke about approach, it. isn't it? Exactly. I find it hilarious. Like all, the, all these stickers on the wall are from some of my comments. You know, <laughs> on the other side. And they're, they're really, really, they're, they're hilarious. They're yeah. so egotistical. Right. But they're really, but they're funny. Because okay. I find the concept of being egotistical so counterproductive. 
then it's funny to me. Sure. So I see these comments because it's hilarious. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. But that's key as well. To be able to laugh at yourself is, yeah. you know, of paramount importance. If, if you can look at these things and see the funny side to it as opposed to being all self-important, yeah. that, that is key in life, in every yeah. aspect. It's Steve, I, I, mate, honestly, I find it all so ironic. I find life the most ironic thing. There's just so many things that are just that are just really funny to me. Just the way that some people view life and like, you know what I mean? It's just, most people really do kick themselves in the balls. They kick themselves in, 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 uh, in uh, the private parts. Yeah. And it's like, and it stops you from getting there. Most people, honestly, most people actually stop themselves. It's not life that stops them. And I've always, I said a long time ago, I don't mind if I'm taken out by life, but I'm not gonna be taken out by me. That would just be crazy. You know what I mean? And life doesn't generally want to truly take you out. There are ways around it, you know. Generally, most people take it, take out themselves. They're like, I, I can't do this anymore. You know what I mean? Mm. And that, that's what ends up separating people in that regard. And so to circle back, if I can just tell people a little bit of that, you know what I mean? And then link people with other people that are good at that element. And, and we can bring people in. And, and then you can put, oh, you worked at Wilson Wide for someone in your resume. And then that motivates me because I'm like, I have to make Ross One Ride this great place where then, when that's on their resume, there's like, oh, we can give you an opportunity because you worked at Wilson Worldwide. And then what if we can have a hundred companies some from the best of each industry and they take interns and they do this and they help people develop. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we yeah. can subsidize that and they can come from different places. You know what I mean? And then it creates that, it creates that kind of a snowball effect, so to speak. And you get people that are 40 years old that want to go into different industries you know what I mean? And they get, they're stuck. They're stuck. You get 50-year-olds that are like... So often. They've been an admin for like 50, yeah. like 40, 30 years. And they're like, I can't stand it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why don't you leave? It's like, I can't leave. I only, I, I've got bills to pay. I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. You've got to figure out a plan. You know what I mean? That plan normally involves you working and figuring out in the evenings how you're going to transition to something new. You know what I mean? I, as a friend of mine, I met her yesterday. She, was, she worked at the BBC not in commission or anything like that, not in the creative kind of sector. And she was like, she just started her own thing, doing what she did at the BBC, but on a, by, a, by herself as a freelance. She loves it. Not getting paid nearly the same amount so far, obviously, but she's loving it. Mm. Because she, there's, there's sometimes there's a difference that you could be, you could be a pilot, but you could want to be, you know, a, a busker. You know what I mean? It, it, is it, you're not going to be here. You're not immortal, unfortunately. Well, or, or fortunately, I should say. But because of that, you've got to do what you want to do out here and find a way to monetize that ability. Find a way to monetize it. And I wish more people understood how simple it was. Not from the perspective of it's easy, but from the, the systemic perspective of you. If you have that system in place that, and that humbleness and a, a lack of ego and the positivity and the, the working smart element of it, then you can do those things. And people ask me, so how, how do I get my foot in the door? How do I do this? How do I do this? Most of it just comes from being humble and asking questions to people. Yeah. You can message people across. If someone wanted, honestly, if someone called you and was like, Steve, I want to start in comedy. You know what I mean? I'm 16, I'm in secondary school. It's unlikely, and they email you privately. It's like, I really love your stuff. You're doing amazing stuff. I really, really like you. Can, would you be able to spend five minutes on the phone just giving me some advice? 
the chance of you saying no is so slim. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would advise him not to go. Because it's bloody difficult. <laughs> it's an inspiring message. Um, and a smart one, too. Talking about how to monetize your own skill. So, mm. And not to be too narrow in your thinking. And I think that really sums you up. It's just you have a very wide perspective, a wide way of thinking. And that allows you to go into these different fields and apply your positive mindset into into everything you do um, and I think like that you know that it's sort of like that positive energy just shines off you <laughs> and, uh, sort of casts its rays around you I've got some sunglasses now I'm my retina um, Thank you so much for, uh, for oh, taking no, the time. I've had a great it's been, time. It's been enlightening. Um, where can people find out more about you, social media and all that jazz? Oh, do I get, do I, get, I do the plugs? Okay. Do the plugs, man. So, guys. Uh... <laughs> do the ASMR. <laughs> you can find me on. <laughs> on Instagram, I'm, I'm Josh BV. So, Josh BV Wilson. And then on Twitter, I'm who is Josh Wilson. So yeah, and I, I post stuff all the time. You're getting a message. And, from oh sure, House and B. and also my my, uh, my amazing team is also informing me to uh, follow uh, Wilson Worldwide Productions on um, on social media. Also, we're on Instagram. I, our Instagram handle is hard, but you can just search Wilson Worldwide Productions, and we'll come up on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, amazing, Josh. Thanks so much, man. Thank Great. you, sir. It was an honour. It was all mine. My man. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Perfect. Now, if that doesn't inspire you, then you're just dead inside. In all seriousness, I found that an extremely inspiring conversation. Whenever I'm around Josh, he's just, as I said in the introduction, he's just got this positive energy that you cannot help be affected by. You're just like, yeah, I want whatever he's drinking. So as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please do like it, rate it, comment, review. And if you haven't done already, then please do subscribe, share it. All those social media shenanigans, they all really help. You know, if I get to have conversations like these and come away feeling inspired, and then hopefully you guys are listening and feel inspired too, then that makes me feel very happy. And it's something that I would like to continue to do. But obviously I want as many people be able to listen to this as possible so please help me get it out there thank you very much and that's it from me until the next one see you later cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.